Frankenstein by Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley Chapter 5 It was on a dreary night of November that I beheld the accomplishment of my toils. With an anxiety that almost amounted to agony, I connected the instruments of life around me, that I might infuse a spark of being to the lifeless thing that lay at my feet. It was already one in the morning, a rain paddled dismissively against the panes, and my candle was nearly burnt out, when, by the glimmer of the half-extinguished light, I saw the dull yellow eye of the creature open. It breathed hard, and a convulsive motion agitated its limbs. How can I describe my emotions at this catastrophe? How delineate? The wrench whom, from which infinite pains and care had endowed the form, his limbs were in proportion. I had settled, had selected his features as beautiful, beautiful, great God, his yellow skin scarcely covered the work of muscles and arteries. His hair was a lustrous black, a flowing, his teeth were pearly whiteness, but these luxuries only formed a mill horrid contrast with his watery eyes that all seemed almost the same colour as the dun white sockets in which they were set, his shrivelled complexion and straight black lips. The different accidents of life are not so changeable as the feelings of human nature. I had worked hard for nearly two years for the sole purpose of infusing life into an inanimate body. For this I have deprived myself of rest and health, desired it with an amour that far exceeded moderation. But now that I had finished, the beauty of the dream vanished, and breathless horror and disgust filled my heart, unable to endure the aspect of the being I had created. I rushed out of the room and continued a long time traversing my bedchamber, unable to compose my mind to sleep. At length, lassitude succeeded to the tumult I had before endured. I threw myself on the bed in my clothes, endeavouring to seek a few moments of forgetfulness. But it was in vain. I slept, indeed, but I was disturbed by the wildest dreams. I thought I saw Elizabeth in the boom of health, walking in the streets of Ingolstrat. Delighted and surprised, I embraced her, but as I imprinted the first kiss on her lips, they became livid with the hue of death. Her features appeared to change. I thought I had held the coats of a, my dead mother in my arms. A shroud enveloped her form. I saw the grey worms crawling to the folds of the flannel. I started, startled from my sleep with horror. A cold drew covered my forehead. My teeth chattered, every limb became convulsed, when, by the dim and yellow light of the moon, as it forced its way through the window shutters, I beheld the wrench, a miserable monster whom I had created. He held up the curtain of the bed, and his, and his eyes, his eyes that may be called, were fixed on me. His jaws opened, and he muttered something audible. Uh, 
automatic sounds. While a grin wrinkled his cheeks, he might have spoken, but I did not hear. One hand was stretched out, seemingly to detain me, but I escaped and rushed downstairs. I took refuge in a courtyard belonging to the house which I inhabited, where I remained during the rest of the night, walking up and down the greatest agitation, listening attentively, catching and fearing each sound, as if it was about words announced approach of the monocle cults of which I had so miserably given life. Oh, no moral could support the horror of that coincidence. A mummy again endured with agitation and animation could not be so hideous as that wretch. I had gazed on him while well finished. He was ugly then, but when those muscles and joints were rendered capable of motion, King of thing, even as such as even Dante could not have conceived. I passed that night wretchedly. Sometimes my pulse beat so quickly and hard, hardly. I felt the palpitation of every artery, of others. I nearly sunk to the ground through the gore and the extreme weakness, mingled with this horror. I felt the bitterness of disappointment. Dreams have been my food and pleasant rest for so long a space will not now become a hell to me. The change was so rapid, the overflow so complete. Morning, dismal and wet, at length dawned, I discovered to my sleeplessness and aching eyes the church of Ingolstrat, its white steeple and clock which indicated a sixth hour. A porter opened the gates of the court, which had that night been my asylum. I issued into the streets, pacing <coughs> with quick steps as if to avoid, if, as if I sought to avoid the wretch whom I feared every turning of the street would present to my view. I did not dare return to the apartment which I inhabited, but felt impelled to hurry on. Although drenched by the rain which poured from a black and comfortless sky, I endured walking in this matter for some time, endeavouring by bodily access to ease a load that weighed upon my mind. I traversed on the streets without any clear conception of where I was or what I was doing. My heart palpated in the sickness of fear. I hurried on with irregular steps, not daring to look about me. Like one who, on a lonely road, doth walk in fear and dread, and having once turned round, walks on, and turns no more his head, because he knows a frightful friend, doth close behind him tread, Coleridge, ancient mariner. Continuing thus, I came at length opposite to the inn where the various diligences and carriages usually stopped. Here I paused. I knew not why, but I remained some minutes with my eyes fixed on a coach that was coming towards me from the other end of the street. As I drew nearer, I observed that it was a Swiss diligence. It stopped just where I was standing. On the door being opened, I perceived Henry Cavell, who, on seeing me, instantly sprang out. My dear Frankenstein, exclaimed he, 
How glad I am to see you. How fortunate you should be here at the very moment of my alighting. Nothing could equal my delight in seeing Cavell. Your presence brought back to my thoughts my father, Elizabeth, all those scenes of home so dear to my recollection. I grasped his hand a moment, forgot my horror and misfortune. I felt suddenly, and for the first time during many months, calm and serene joy. I welcomed my friend. Therefore, in the most cordial manner, we walked towards my college. Cavell continued talking for some time about mutual friends, his own good fortune of being permitted to come to ill ghostrat. You may easily believe, he said, how great was the difficulty to persuade my father that all necessary knowledge was not comprised in no art of bookkeeping, and indeed I believe I left him incredulous to the last, for his constant answer to my unwearied entries was the same as that of the Dutch schoolmaster in the Vicar of Wakefield. I have ten thousand florins a year without a Greek. I eat healthily without a Greek, but his affection for me at length overcame his dislike of learning. He has permitted me to undertake a voyage of discovery to the land of knowledge. It gives me the greatest delight to see you, but tell me, how you left my father, brothers, and Elizabeth? Very well, I'm very happy, only a little uneasy that they hear from you so seldom. By the by, I mean to lecture you a little upon their account myself. But, my dear Frankenstein, continued he, stopping short and gazing full in my face, I did not become real. I did not before remark how very ill you appear, so thin and pale. You look as if you've been watching for several nights. You have guessed right. I have lately been so deeply engaged in one occupation. I have not allowed myself significant rest. As you see, I have but hope. I sincerely hope that all these employments are now at an end, and that I am at length free. I trembled excessively. I could not endure to think of, and far less to allude to, the occurrences of the preceding night. I walked with great quick pace, and we soon arrived at my college. I then reflected, and the thought made me shiver, that the creature whom I had left in my apartment might still be there, alive, and walking about, I dreaded it to behold this monster. I feared still more that Henry should see him. Entreating him, therefore, to remain a few minutes at the bedroom bottom of the stairs, I darted up towards my own room. My hand was already on the lock, the door, before I collected myself. I then paused, and a cold shivering came over me. Through the door, forcibly open, as the children were accustomed to do when they expect a spectre to stand in waiting for them on the other side, but nothing appeared. I stepped fearfully. The apartment was empty. My bedroom was also freed from this hideous guest. I could hardly believe that so great a good fortune could have befallen me. But when I became assured that my enemy had deed fled, I clapped my hands for joy and ran down to Cavell. We ascended into my room. The servant presently brought breakfast. But I was able to contain myself. You not joy, only that possessed me. I felt my flesh tingle with excess of senselessness. Senselessness, my pulse beat rapidly. I was unable to remain for a single instant in the same place. 
I jumped over the chairs, clapped my hands, and laughed aloud. Cavell first attributed my unusual spirits of joy and arrival, but when he observed me more attentively, he saw violence in my eyes, for which he could not account. My lad with unrestrained, heartless laughter frightened and astonished him. My dear Victor, he cried, what for God's sake is the matter? Do you not laugh in that matter? How ill are you? What is the cause of all this? Do not ask me, cried I, putting my hands before my eyes. For I thought to hell. I saw the dreaded spectacle glide in the room. He can tell. Oh, save me, save me. I imagine that the monster size seized me. I struggled very furiously and fell down in a fit. Poor Gavel, what must have been his feelings? A meeting which he hesitated with such joy, so strangely turned to bitterness. Why I was not the witness of his grief, for I was lifeless, and did not recover my senses for a long, long time. This was the commencement of a nervous fever which confined me for several months. During all that time, Henry was my only nurse. I afterwards learned that knowing my father's advanced age and fitness for so, so long a journey, and how rich my sixes would make Elizabeth, he spared them with grief by concealing the extent of my disorder. He knew that I could not have a more kind and attentive nurse than himself, a firm in the hope he might. He felt of my recovery. He did not doubt that. Instead of doing harm, he performed the kindest act. They could towards them. But I was in reality very ill, and surely nothing but the unbound and unremitting adventures my friend could have restored me to life. The form of the monster whom I bestowed his existence was forever before my eyes. I raved incessantly concerning him. Doubtless my words surprised Henry. He at first believed them to be the wanderings of my disturbed imagination, but the persistency which I had continually incurred the same subject persuaded him by disorder indeed owed its origin to some uncommon and terrible event. By the very slow degrees with the frequent relapses that alarmed and grieved my friend, I recovered, I remember the first time, I became capable of observing um, outward objects with a kind of pleasure. I perceived that the fallen leaves disappeared and that the young buds were shooting forth from the trees that shadowed my window. It was divine spring that seasons continued greatly to my convalescence. Greatly to my convalescence. I felt also sentiments of a joy and affection relieved in my bosom. My gloom disappeared, and in a short time I became as cheerful as before. I was a pat by a fatal passion. Dear Scavell, exclaimed I, how kind, how very good you are to me. This whole winter, instead of being spent in study, as you promised yourself, you have been consumed in my sick room. How shall I ever repay you? I feel the greatest remorse for the disappointment which have been, have been the occasion. But you, but you will forgive me? You will pay me entirely, as if not to, to, to compose yourself, but get well as fast as you can, and since you appear in such good spirits, may I speak to you on one subject? Why not? I trembled one subject. What could it be? 
Could it be eluded an object which I dared not think? You even think? Compose yourself, said Cabell. Observe my colour, change of colour. I will not mention it if it agitates you. But my father and cousin will be very happy to receive a letter from you in her own handwriting. They hardly knew how ill you, you've been, and they are uneasy at the long silence. Is that all, dear Henry? How could you suppose that, my friend? First of all, would not fly towards them, dear, dear friends, whom I love and are so deserving of my love. If this is a, your present temper, my friend, you will perhaps be glad to see a letter been lying there some days for you. It is from your cousin, I believe.